Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome all of you here, especially if you're visiting with us. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Church, would you welcome those who are online for us with a, your acclamation of applause? Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm tired today. I don't know if you're tired today, but I'm tired. We have had an amazing weekend uh, here in this place. Uh, we finished up our uh, Resist the Drift marriage conference. Uh, amazing uh, Friday night and Saturday morning. Uh, I'm going to take just an opportunity to thank every one of you who were involved. Um, I uh, received uh, comments not only from our guests who, uh, who visited us, uh, who don't attend this church or who live far away. Uh, they said, man, this church knows hospitality. This, no this church knows how to welcome people. Uh, after the conference, uh, Aaron Smalley, uh, who was one of the speakers, her, she and her husband, uh, Greg, uh, Aaron went up to Shauna, my wife, and said, we have never seen a church do hospitality like this in all of our presentations. You welcomed us and you welcomed our guests. That is something that is a huge testament. And so uh, I want to thank all of those who volunteered. I want to thank our staff, uh, from everybody from uh, 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 our uh, folks who promoted it to folks who coordinated it, Margaret Rao, who was sort of our sergeant major on staff, and trust me, she can be a sergeant major on staff sometimes. I have to remind her I'm the colonel, though. That's just, my, sometimes I have to do that. But nevertheless, uh, and, and, and mostly for your prayers and for your reaching out to friends and neighbors, uh, several of the visitors, uh, we had several couples who are preparing for marriage that were here. And uh, <clears throat> a couple of them said, this has just been what we needed. Thank you so much. And so um, thank you, church, for working hard uh, to make this past weekend what it was. And uh, I pray that there will be a ripple effect uh, as uh, those who have been blessed by that conference will go and bless others. I do want to take an opportunity to remind you that after the new year, we're going to be starting a seven-week uh, reconnected experience study out of the conference. You don't have to have come to the conference to register for that. Um, you can go to our website and under classes on our front page of our website, Life Groups and Classes, click on that, take, go to classes. You can register for that. We're offering uh, two classes during the week, one on Sunday afternoon at 2 and then one on Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday evening at 6.30. So uh, if, if, you're, if you're starting to hear good things and you'd say, I'd like to learn a little bit more about that, uh, you can register and we'd love to have you. It's only seven weeks. You can give seven weeks. We do know that Super Bowl Sunday is in the midst of that seven weeks and we'll, figure, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but I don't think that'll be a problem. If you're visiting with us today, I want to remind you, this is Stewardship Series. You picked the perfect day to come to church. Uh, but I, I hope that uh, uh, those who are sitting around who've been here all three weeks know that we've been approaching it from a very different perspective. Uh, uh, our series title has been Live Generously, Here, Near, and Far, looking at the fullness and testimony of God's Word about how God calls us to be generous people. Not, I'm not just trying to get you to give money to the church, although I'll never turn that away. Uh, but uh, it's, about a, it's about an understanding, a mindset, a, a heart that has been uh, redeemed by God through Christ and how that changes us. Uh, we mailed out another mailing yesterday. If you have, we have a little um, estimate card, a little Live Generously card. We'd love for you to fill that out. Uh, on that card, you can share with us that you'll be praying for this church, ways that you'd like to be 
engaged in our various ministries, which are listed on the back, and a space for you to consider how much you might support financially the work and ministry of this church over the next year. And our hope and goal is that eventually, uh, as we build this into our, our ethos, how we do things, that that will be a responsible way in which we can plan for the future. We're, we're, already, uh, we're already planning for this coming Easter. Uh, I know, Christmas is not even here. You wouldn't know it by the malls, but nevertheless... Um, you know, we want to be able to plan generously, uh, and, and to plan faithfully and generously as God calls us into the future. So uh, if you haven't turned that card in, we hope that you will, or you can go online and up at the top on our webpage at southsub.church, there's a little button that says live. Click on that and you can fill that out online. We'd love to have 100% participation. I know you may say, well, I'm not really able to, to estimate uh, my level of financial support. Well, that's that's not all, and truly, that's not what we're in, that's not all what we're interested in. And I hope our messages have conveyed that. But we pray that you will do that because we'd love to have every person in the life of our congregation uh, think about, pray about, and commit to what it means to be faithful, to be a generous church, uh, to really live the way we lived the past two days. I mean, the, our hospitality was our living generously for our neighbors. And, uh, and it touched people. It changed people. It changes people's lives. It changes our lives. Each week during this Live Generously, we have uh, focused on one of the constituency ministries uh, that we work with, labor with, support. Um, North Littleton Promise was the first week. Whitson McGeeley was last week, which is our ministry that we work with in Swaziland. And today, uh, we are celebrating our uh, labors together with Love, Inc., or Love in the Name of Christ. The executive de uh, director, Catherine Roy, is here. I'd like to invite Catherine uh, to come forward. I just have so enjoyed getting to know her, her passion, her love. Uh, and and, and, and I, I don't know if this is right, but uh, I have been blessed to be able to meet several movers and shakers in the Littleton area. And this is what they say. Pastor Ike, when you call, I'll get back to you. But when Catherine calls, I stop what I'm doing and take the message because that woman is making a difference in our community. Thank you. Church, let's welcome Catherine. Thank you, Pastor Ike. And can, there we go. I, I, we I won't like trip keep church. over the top here. But I, I just want to say the reason that, thank you for that compliment is that love in the name of Christ brings all the churches to the table. That's the bottom line. And I wanna, one, celebrate with you tonight, or this morning, <laughs> that we are partners and tell you a little bit about what it means, who Love, Inc. is, and what it means to be a partner. So love in the name of Christ, or Love, Inc. is kind of our nickname, but it's really important to know that the INC is in the name of Christ. Love, Inc. is not Love Incorporated. It's not a great name for a tattoo parlor, parlor or a dating service. We are love <laughs> in the name of Christ. Amen. And we have been around as a national uh, movement since 1977 with 120 Love, Inc.s across the country. We just happen to be the only one in the metro area. And we've been serving through now 40 church partners since 2008. We exist to engage the church, local churches, local Christians, to transform lives and entire communities so that we can put God's love on display. 
And our Love, Inc. does that in three different ways. Through our helpline, we call the Connection Center, through our resale store, Renewed Treasures, and through a weekly program that's really designed to walk alongside and change lives. That's called Impact. And I'd like to use this opportunity to highlight a little bit of what you've already done as South Sub. Thank you for that, and just tell you a little bit about what those are. So, the Connection Center has many, many ways we serve. And in fact, one of your very own Bruce, hello out there, Bruce Regenthal serves there every week. But the things we do are diapers, and you've provided a lot of diapers last May and this May, thank you very much, for young families. And um, furniture, we've discovered that free quality delivered furniture is a huge gap in our society. And our warehouse is right down the hill from your church. And your brotherhood has not one but two moving teams that serve our community through that. And I just, that's, it's a huge celebration. Our resale store, Renewed Treasures, we thank Randy Donay for helping us lead that into some new challenges and, and be successful. And Dee Zavala, hello Dee, is a regular volunteer there. And I would bet that many of you shop there, I hope you do, or you will, and donate there. And finally, Impact. Um, Impact, we just had a wonderful South Sub team that provided dinner for us a few weeks ago. And Bruce, uh, excuse me, um, Brett Pumphrey, who's also on our board, is one of the coaches there. Deep, deep work in our community. I thank you for that. I'd love to talk to you more about it. I'll be out, out in the gathering area afterward. And then also invite you, please, to pray about this ministry we're in together and also about how God may be calling you to that. There are so many ways to connect, and it all can start with conversation or our website, which is lovinklittleton.org. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless. And as, as she said earlier, uh, during uh, our time between our services, uh, you can uh, meet in Levi's House, Student Center, the Old Sanctuary, whatever you want to call it, uh, for Faith Talks. Uh, we've been meeting with each of these agencies each week during this time and this after, or the, later after this service. Uh, you can meet and learn more about uh, uh, the work that we do together with love in the name of Christ. And in any of these ministries, if you want more information about how you might be plugged in, uh, please feel free to uh, uh, submit a, a, a question on our website or give our church office a call, and we'd love to get you pointed in the right direction. So thank you. Uh, our text today <clears throat> is from the prophet Malachi. I know you all were reading that this morning, weren't you? Uh, the book of Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament, so it's one of the easiest to find. I mean, I could be asking you turn, to turn to Habakkuk or Haggai or something like that. I'm, I'm really doing you a favor doing Malachi, because all you got to do is open your Bible, get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke are at the beginning, that's the first Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, and get to Matthew, just keep turning toward the front of your Bible, and the next book you'll run into is the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 3. Uh, again, as is the case with all of our messages, we do have study notes and questions. Uh, many of our small groups, our life groups, uh, follow these, our classes. Uh, you can pick those up either at our Welcome Center if you want a paper copy, or you can uh, follow along uh, through our YouVersion uh, Bible app. So uh, Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. You may have heard the old story. I don't know if you have. I heard it occasionally growing up as a kid. It was a story about a dear sainted lady who called up the local Presbyterian church. And if I have any Presbyterians in here, it's just a joke, okay? But nevertheless, she calls up the Presbyterian church and asks if she can meet with the Presbyterian pastor. He, of course, agrees, and she goes into his office and sits down, quite disheartened in spirit, and begins to share with her the reason for her grief. Her cat, of 18 years, died. She went on to share with that presbytery. See, I've already lost somebody who's mad at me about the cats. I was expecting Jane Crossan to get up and leave on this one. Well, she, anyway, she, she, she shares with him, quite frankly, that if it hadn't have been for that cat, she would not have been able to have gotten through the death of her husband. And she talked and talked, and it seemed to be a very cathartic time where she shared with this Presbyterian pastor all of the things and the importance of this cat and what it meant to her in her life. And as she began to complete, she said, So, Pastor, I was wondering if you would be willing to do a funeral for my cat. Well, at this, the Presbyterian pastor said, Well, dear sister in Christ, I am a Presbyterian. We do not do funerals for cats. Maybe you should go down the street to the Episcopal Church. They'll do funerals for anything. The lady was a little bit surprised, a little bit shocked, but she got up, and as she began to walk out the door, she stopped right at the doorway, and she said, oh, pastor, I have one last question for you. And I said, what's that? She said, what's that? And the lady said, should I pay this Episcopal minister $1,000 or $1,500 for doing my cat's funeral? To which the Presbyterian minister said, well, dear sister in Christ, you did not tell me that your cat was a Presbyterian. Now, these are kinds of stories that we always talk about with regard to pastors and with regard to churches and with regard to what we'll do for money. This isn't something that just started in our present day. Today, I'm sharing with you the book of Malachi. It's a fascinating book, one of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament. And somebody say, somebody's going to you say that about every of the books of the prophets in the Old Testament. That may be true, but Malachi doesn't mix words, doesn't mince words. It's not a really long book. You could go home this afternoon and you could read all of it. It's just four chapters. Uh, there is some need, I think, however, to understand Malachi in its context. And once you get its context, man, it's a powerful word of God 
that I truly believe will change your life. So let's talk just a few moments about that. The people in Malachi's day had been treating God very badly. And the charge is lodged against them that they are robbing God. They had become bored with God. Their worship of God had turned from relational to ritual. And as a result of that, they began to do some things that God points out to them through his prophet Malachi. I'm going to go through these very quickly with you. The first thing that they were doing in chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, is they were offering blemished sacrifices. The law of Moses was quite clear. When you brought your animal to be sacrificed at the temple, it needed to be perfect, spotless. The second charge is that the priests had become unfaithful. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. The priests were fearful that if they didn't take what they were getting from the people, these blemished sacrifices, they wouldn't get any sacrifices at all. And that they knew that if they told their folks that the sacrifices that they were bringing, although they weren't quite right up to the bar of what God had said in the law of Moses, it was okay. God would overlook that. Because if they were called on the carpet, the priests were afraid that they wouldn't get anything at all. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. The next thing that the prophet Malachi uh, charges against the people, divorce had become commonplace. And not only commonplace, but easy. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. Husbands were leaving their wives for exotic foreign women, the text says. Leaving their children, leaving their families to fend for themselves while they chased after women who did not believe or worship the one true God. The next charge is that their words, their prayers, the text says, wearied God. God was weary of their empty words, chapter 2, verse 17. Another charge was that their businessmen were defrauding their workers, not paying a fair wage, cheating their customers, taking advantage of widows, orphans, and those from other nations living in their land. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But the most egregious treatment of God that Malachi lifts up in chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, they were robbing God. And how were they robbing God? Because they were withholding their tithes, their best. They were giving the least that they could give, not the most. Now listen, I'm just, first of all, I'm just going to share with you what Malachi says. So don't, don't, don't stone the messenger, although that happens quite a bit. It wasn't that God wanted nicer stuff. <laughs> it wasn't that God needed more money, as if God needs stuff as if God needs money. What was at issue was the attitude or the heart of the people. That is, is what the people were asking themselves is how little can I give to God and keep God happy? Now imagine if you're married 
or going to be married, going to your spouse or fiance and saying, now I know we're supposed to get married, just so I'm clear, what's the least amount I have to do so that you won't leave me? That'd be a great conversation, wouldn't it? You see, gifts really do communicate appreciation, don't they? Or a lack of appreciation. They communicate disdain in some situations. Anger, resentment. Would you give your new girlfriend the diamond tennis bracelet that you had originally given to your ex-girlfriend and she foolishly threw back at you when you broke up with her? You might, but you wouldn't want your new girlfriend to know about it, would you? The problem here in Malachi was an issue of the heart. And also, and this is difficult, but I need to be upfront and honest, it's a problem of spiritual leadership. It's a problem of the pastors and the elders and the deacons and those who serve in the leadership of the church today. Remember when I told you that in chapter 2 it was about the unfaithfulness of the priests of the Old Testament, the tribe of Levi? The great Protestant reformer Martin Luther writes actually about that chapter, chapter 2 of Malachi, and I want to read to you what he says. God denounces the priests, particularly because they falsified the word of God and taught it faithlessly and thereby deceived many, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, and because they, that is the priests, abused their priestly office by not rebuking those who offered blemish things or were otherwise unrighteous and by praising them instead and calling them righteous just to gain contributions and profit for them. In this way, avarice and concern for the belly have always injured the word and worship of God. They always turn preachers into hypocrites. I'm stepping on my own toes here now, brothers and sisters. Now, a lot of folks are surprised to learn that when a sheep and an ox was sacrificed in the Old Testament, not all of the animal was burned. Now, portions of it were, but generally the only portions that were burned, according to the law of Moses, were those portions of the animal that could not be consumed. So the portions of the meat and the grain offerings were given to the priests. And quite frankly, according to the law of Moses, this was how the priests were supported. This is how they fed their families by these offerings. Dr. Ligon Duncan, who is professor of systematic theology at Reformed Theological Seminary, says that the purpose of the priests eating the offering was also assigned to the offerer that his or her sacrifice was accepted by God. Now, that, that's true. That that way your grain that you gave to God to be sacrificed wasn't grain that was filled with mold. Or that the lamb that you offered as your sacrifice wasn't crawling with maggots. So if the priest could eat it, and his family and his children could eat it, then your sacrifice was appropriate. 
Do you know the difference between the taste of lamb that is blind and lamb that can see? Absolutely nothing. Tastes the same. I know God is ticked with his priests here. But frankly, as a pastor, not you guys, so don't get upset. I understand how the priests feel. I understand what's going through the priests' minds. Now, here's some more context. The Jews here that Malachi is speaking to, the Hebrews here, have just returned from their exile in Persia. Remember the whole thing. Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom. Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom. Carries the Jews off into captivity to Babylon. The next nation is Persia. King Cyrus, king of Persia, then releases the Jews and allows them to go back to Jerusalem where they do a couple things. One of the things they do is they rebuild the temple. So this is the second temple here. And the next thing that they do is they, they rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. The generation that is returning have never experienced tithing before. They lived in in captivity. They never experienced the sacrifice before because they didn't have a temple to do that at. Jerusalem is still under residual Persian rule. They still have a Persian governor that is responsible for collecting the taxes to send to Persia. But the land around Jerusalem isn't what it used to be. Remember the text says, I will rebuke the devourer? It's filled with things that kill crops, with pests and pestilence. It's going to take years of work to get the land around Jerusalem back to where it was prior to their being carried off into captivity. And it's just as easy for these Hebrews who are trying to get a living out of this broken, demolished land to just not bring a sacrifice at all. I don't have the freedom. I I don't have the the luxury. I don't have the excess to do it. I'm trying to feed my own family. And so I'll bring a sacrifice that isn't as perfect, that I don't need to help rebuild my flocks. And so the priests are probably thinking, well, I can take the sacrifice that isn't perfect, or I can rebuke the people... (laughs) and get no sacrifice at all. The priests were thinking of themselves. And well, the priests were thinking of themselves. And that's not what priests are supposed to do. Malachi tells us what priests are supposed to do. Verse 4, so you shall know, chapter 2, verse 4, so you shall know, that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Oh! 
looking at my good colleague, Pastor Joe, over there. Because some of you thinking, well, what's this preacher trying to do here? What's this pastor trying to do? Okay, we're a New Testament church, right? Say amen. Huh? What's the New Testament say about priests? Y'all ready? You ready? Buckle up. Here we go. If you look throughout the New Testament, specifically 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we find out who the priests are today. Peter says, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you would have done anything to get it, and then once you got it, you say, man, I wish I didn't have this? In many ways, that's what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Man, you want, you want to be a priest. You want to have authority. You want to have a say in your future. You want to be able to be an independent arbiter of your own destiny. Well, Jesus, well, here you go. I ordain you a priest by your baptism. changes things doesn't it you see malachi is talking to all of us all right well let's clear up a couple of other things first particularly this tithe thing the word tithe means tenth now we had no problem teaching our children percentages and fractions mainly because the way we did it is we started with the money that nana and grampy had given them you see Nana and Grampy would give them $20, and they knew that they had to give how much back to the church? Two. Two dollars. See, you guys can do percentages, can't you? We don't have a tithing problem in this church anymore. I can see it. It's coming. The Holy Spirit is just sharing it with us. But actually, in the Old Testament, tithing is a little bit more complicated than that. In the Old Testament law, there were actually, are you ready, three tithes or three tenths two of those tithes had to be given every year and one of those tithes had to be given every three years which means that the people of israel on their annual income tithed 23.3 percent of all that they had every year to god one of those tithes was to uh, what was commanded by the law to help support the priests in the temple. The second tithe was to celebrate the annual sacred feast of Passover. The other tithe was to uh, uh, help the poor. 23 and a third percent. And that tithe, according to the Hebrew people, was recognized as God's. You will never find the Old Testament talking about my tithe. They'll always, the Old Testament will always say it's God's tithe. You see, the people in the Old Testament did not give a tithe, but repaid the tithe to the owner of all things. 
Rarely does the Bible speak of giving a tithe, even in the New Testament. But when you look in the New Testament, it, it, the words like uh, uh, presenting or paying or taking to are the phrases that you'll see around that tithing idea and aspect. No one ever said throughout the entirety of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, I feel led to tithe. The tithe was explicit. It was objective. It did not regard, regard your heart's response. It was expected, period. Offerings, on the other hand, we can use the possessive pronoun of my in reference to that because offerings were voluntary and offerings were over and above the tithe. Offerings were given because the heart had been touched by God's grace. And yet, what does God say about the tithe here in Malachi? Well, first, I'm, I'm, I'm always reminded of what my parents taught me. Here's what my mother and father said to me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. My parents taught me Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus said to him, to the devil, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So you can see when I was reading Malachi, I got nervous. These verses were hammered into my head as a boy. Don't make deals with God. My dad would say, son, do this to live. Live honestly, tell the truth, work, for, work hard, and stand for justice and defend the weak. That was the five things my dad always told me. Live honestly, tell the truth, work hard, stand for justice, defend the weak. Back in Malachi chapter 2, verse 5, we read about how Levi feared the Lord, how the priests need to fear the Lord. Well, I and you, I know, I know some of you, Fear the Lord. But look what God himself says through Malachi. Verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse and thereby put me to the test. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessings until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of light, says the Lord. It is the only time in Scripture... The only situation in Scripture where we are told to test the Lord. Now, the context here isn't an invitation for each of you as individuals to test God. Y'all can try that if you want. Pastor Joe and I'll be there to clean up the mess. But this is a verse that invites the community to test the Lord. For the community to be the conduit through which God is going to bless others. To live generously here, near, and far. Our brothers and sisters here in this place today. Our neighborhoods near. And the nations around the world far. Would you direct your attention to the screens? I'd like to introduce to you Linda and Josh Fuller, who are here uh, as we're continuing to look at our theme, Live Generously, Here, Near, and Far. You are our Live Generously Far folks. Uh, before we get into that, tell me, how did you come to be a part of South Sub Church? Well, we joined the church about 16 years ago, and we were looking for a more family-friendly church. 
closer to home, and that's how we, we arrived at South Suburban. Oh, that's awesome. Great. And what is one of the principal ministries you're involved in here? Operation Christmas Child. Oh, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I have been involved with Operation Christmas Child since 1993 when it first started. And um, I just love the idea of packing a simple shoebox and filling it with necessities like hygiene products, school supplies, toys for kids around the world who are um, quite needy. And not only do they receive the shoebox, but um, when they're given the shoebox, they receive a booklet, which is a 12 lesson program, a discipleship program, and it's teaching the gospel to kids around the world. And since uh, 1993, 12.5 million kids have accepted Jesus. And from there, they share this with their family and friends. So, Well, thank you. And God bless you for all the work you do with Operation Christmas Child. Josh, let me ask you, what does live generously far mean to you? Well, we live in, since we live in a privileged country like the United States, we have the ability to freely worship. And because of that, we are able to fill shoeboxes and put the, the, the gospel in the shoebox. And, and then we're able to ship it off across the seas to children who desperately need to hear the good work of Jesus Christ. And I feel that is really empowering to me especially. Amen, thank you very much. Well, as a mother and son, Linda, what is it that you hope that Josh carries on in the future? Well, mostly to just uh, find Jesus. Find Jesus in his heart and share it with um, others that he comes in contact with. Amen. Well, thank you so much for you live generously far as well as here and there. And we appreciate your ministry and the work that you do for the glory of God and for the spreading of the gospel. God bless you both. Just so you know, uh, our shoebox has uh, gathered from this church 317 boxes. Uh, As a drop-off station, we have 518 boxes that are going to be going across the world from this place. Let, Let me close with this, and this is really important. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And it's really a fitting book to end the year on. You, you end a year on? You may not know that today is actually the last day, the last Sunday of the Christian year. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. It is the new year for Christians, the new liturgical year. I know most of us celebrate the pagan new year, you know, January 1st. But truly, our people, our, our, as a church, this would be the end of our year. Now, what I really love about this, you ready? Listen, Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament. And from the last page of your Old Testament to the next page of your New Testament is 400 years of silence from heaven. 400 years of persecution. 400 years when the Greeks will come in and the Hebrews will suffer terribly under the Greek Empire. 400 years and finally the Roman Empire will come in and here's where it gets interesting Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 God says behold I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the Lord of hosts 
But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He will purify the sons of Levi, the priests, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Who's Elijah? John the Baptist. The one who prepares the way for the coming of the Lord. And who is the Lord? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God the Son who lifts the curse. Now let me be clear. What Malachi is saying is it will not be our offerings that justify us. It will not be our works that justify us. It will be the work of God himself who clothes himself with flesh and chooses to come to you and to me as a baby. And in those hands, the future holds that nails will pierce them for me and for you. Let me be very clear. I have preached none of these sermons so that you will give more. I have sought to lift up God's word so that our hearts will be changed. And when our hearts are changed, everything falls into place. If you haven't made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, do that today. If in your very essence, as the Holy Spirit asks you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and do you accept him as Lord and Savior? You are saying yes. After the service, I pray that you'll come and speak to one of our elders so that we can begin walking with you as a brother and sister in Christ. If you're joining us online, I pray that you'll click that button online that says today you receive God's love through Christ so that we too can walk with you. Because here is the summary statement of my entire stewardship message to you. Only in Christ will your heart be changed. Only in Him.